Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast, Murph, Ken. Hello there, Owen. I don't hey, really know what you guys got up to over the weekend, nor, frankly, do I care. <laughs> I am, on the other hand, okay, always fascinated by what the world's greatest sports people do with their spare time. That's the kind of thing that floats my boat. Mm-hmm. What was Rory McIlroy doing over the last couple of days? He's been injured lately. What was he doing? Well, Murph, in the case of Rory McIlroy, he apparently likes nothing more than a nice, relaxing four ball at Trump International Golf Club with Donald Trump. As a part of the four, part of the four ball, first saw this on the NoLayingUp.com blog. A lot of people have been retweeting it since. Rory McIlroy teed it up with the president of the United States, Donald Trump, on Sunday morning at the Trump at Trump International. McIlroy rode in the cart for all eighteen holes with the president and told No Laying Up the following: He probably shot around eighty. He's a decent player for a guy in his seventies. A lot of things have been said about Donald Trump uh, recently. Um, they are by no means the m- most insulting. No, and they. I think I think Trump will take that as an insult. What? Uh, well, eighty's not a great score. That's not great. No, <laughs> no, it's not. I think he's, he claims he's about a three handicapper. Does he? I should check this out. I don't want to be accused of fake news here. Mm. I did read quite recently that he claims, or heard quite recently, he claims he's something like a three handicapper at his best. But eighty's uh, not bad. Uh, I mean, it's very good compared to what anyone in this room will be hitting. Eighty, Owen, is really mediocre. Um, you don't get any respect as a golfer. For shooting eighty, you know, if 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 Rory McIlroy was to was to go to the Masters later on later on this year and shoot an eighty in his opening round, would it'd you be, be sitting there going, eighty's quite good"? It'd be big news, Ken. Big big news. Would you be sitting there saying eighty's quite good, Owen? No, if a professional golfer was to shoot it, I'd be saying no. Amateur golfer, depending on handicap, potentially yes. Um, <laughs> well, you've got to you've got to take into account on also who we're talking about here. This isn't just any. Amateur golfer. This is Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States. Uh, and he's not just any golfer. Uh, and I know this because of uh, reading about the uh, reading a profile, or not, not an actual profile. I didn't read the Golf Digest profile written by David Owen, but I did read his account of, of his day uh, hanging out with Trump at his golf course and writing the 
profile of him. Mm -hmm. But look, uh, so I'll just read this. In my own article, I did write nice things about Trump's courses, but Trump nevertheless was upset. He called the editor of Golf Digest to complain, and then he called me on my cell phone. I was in the city on a reporting assignment unrelated to golf and had the surreal experience of being chewed out by a future president of the United States while standing among the gravestones in the burial ground next to Trinity Church. He wasn't upset that one of the article's illustrations had been of a golf ball wearing a turf toupee that looked a lot like his deeply mysterious hair, or that I'd mentioned his asking two little girls at Mar-a-Lago if they wanted to be supermodels when they grew up, or that I'd described nearly tipping him $5 after momentarily mistaking him for his club's parking lot attendant, or that I'd written that he'd introduced one of his club's members to me, not by name, but as the richest guy in Germany. He was upset that I hadn't written that he'd shot 71, a very good golf score, one stroke under par. I hadn't written that because he hadn't shot 71. Uh, so he goes on to explain that basically they were, they, you know, we, we hadn't been playing for score. We'd given each other puts, taken friendly liberties, as golfers inevitably, inevitably do when they're just fooling around. I said something to that effect in the politest way I could think of, but he wasn't mollified. He was also angry that I described his wedge game as poor. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, because apparently, uh, just double checked it, he, yeah, three, the three handicap is correct, or is correct insofar as that's what Donald Trump says he... That's what he self-reports. He puts himself down as a 2.8, in fact, which is times, serious golf. I wonder how many times he hit that handicap if he was to do it under, you know, tournament conditions. Mm. You know, with the guy in Dubai watching, you know, getting right up to the TV screen to see if there's been any malfeasance with the ball. <laughs> But yeah, I I I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he sometimes if if maybe the pressure of that situation causes him to under underperformance handicap. I think we're missing the more parochial point here, and mm. that is what is our boy Rory McIlroy doing in this photograph with Donald Trump at the moment? Granted, golf and golfers haven't been at the vanguard of the anti-Trump protests, mm. and Rory is within his rights to think whatever he wants about the current issues of the day. I guess Rory McIlroy is a golfer, PGA golfer. Of course, he supports Trump. You know, why should that but be a can surprise? You, not, you know, of course, it's not a, necessarily a surprise, but could you... Well, it is actually potentially a surprise why that he supports surprise? Trump publicly like this, coming out and being in a photograph with him, playing golf with him. You can keep your bib clean with the president, I'm sure, without having to go and actually play golf with him and be seen in public with him. Keep your bib clean is such an interesting turn of phrase. I mean, well, I'm not going to say I thought about it for long. It's literally just what jumped out of my head there. I know, but but, you, but the implication there is that you don't want to do anything to annoy the president. Well, I think that is what the golfers are like at the moment. I haven't heard any of them come out and say anything about Trump. And I'm sure they can't all be Trump supporters, can they? Yeah, they easily can. I they could all be Republicans. I'm, I'm pretty, make them all Trump supporters. I'm pretty sure that they're all Trump supporters on the PGA Tour. You know, not too many, because Colin, what? Because not too many Colin Kaepernicks hmm. in that group. I would say. I mean, I certainly haven't heard of any. Have you heard of any? I haven't heard of any anti-Trump PGA golfers. I think it's. I think they're probably delighted with how things but are sorry, going. Sorry, back to my bib clean comment. Well, what's your issue? Well, just the, just the idea that a golfer would have to have to watch his step around the president in case the president uh, started a vendetta against him is it's just a, a kind of a weird situation for us to be in now. <laughs> that maybe Roy McIlroy was thinking that. I'm sure the invitation to play golf with Trump probably struck Rory McIlroy as problematic when he received it. Obviously, he decided that discretion was the better part of valor, let's say. Let's go and uh, 
Yeah, unfortunately, you you kind of have to wear it, though. You know, you can't very well say, well, what could I do? You know, I can't turn the president in. Unfortunately, Rory, sometimes that's the right thing to do. He didn't have, didn't have any problem turning down countries of all shapes and sizes uh, when it came time to play in the Olympics. I mean, <laughs> you know, Britannia and Hibernia frustrated themselves before Rory McIlroy, begging him to represent them. And uh, he turned his face away. But when Donald Trump comes calling, then Rory McIlroy comes running. You do wonder in a few years' time, 10, 15, 20 years' time, there'll be this photo of Rory McIlroy. I just wonder, will he come to regret this? You you have to wear it. You know, don't like, all all you can do is live with that. And don't say that, you know, I'm playing with him golfer to golfer. Sure, I disagree with his policies, but, you know, I'm a gentleman and I play along. You can't say all that. You can't actually live it, though. You can't really well, he, uh, By the way, just to be clear, he hasn't said any of that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, and I, I, I presume at some stage over the next couple of days that that might happen. It might not. But that's just the reality of it. I mean, you can't, you can't get away from it. You this will like, definitely ten- be remembered in 15, 20 years' time. Um, well, it, it depends on how badly things go. You know, it could be a very famous photograph uh, in... You know, like the England players in uh, in Munich in 1938 saluting or wherever, wherever that, that game is played, probably Berlin. Literally hit White Hart Lane, maybe. Uh, you know, these famous photos. I'm sure there's a few celebrities who turned up at the Berghof, you know, to be uh, to be photographed on the balcony looking over the Alps, you know. Um, and maybe some of them even displayed those photos in, you know, in the bathroom in later years. Oh, look at the time that I met that important gentleman. But look... I, I'm not surprised. He is a PGA golfer. They all, they're all into this. Uh, he's he, the one thing I do know about Roy McIlroy, and I don't know a lot about him really, but I do know that he 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 hates being told what to do. He really hates that. He he also hates the idea that a lot of people seem to have about him that he should think a particular way about politics. You know, he's he he's kind of he's rejected all that. He's kind of rejected the conventional ideas of how he should represent his country, whichever country that, you know, he's rejected the idea that he should choose one country over another. He's kind of in in his, in a sense, he probably thinks he's transcended uh, political questions to a certain extent, that he's kind of part of a more, um, you know, like an international millionaire sportsman class who doesn't need to worry about these kinds of things. I mean, he obviously felt that between two I, I say this. I mean, I guess that he would probably rather not have been invited. Probably he wouldn't really want to be involved in this. But he obviously decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. Totally his decision. Like everything is his decision. But uh, you know, it's been taken now. The decision has been done. The round has been played. An eighty has been hit by another Donald Trump. Trump. Another Trump supporting PGA. Uh, independent thinking golfer. Andy Lee is less than four weeks out from his first fight since he lost his world title to Billy Joe Saunders back in December 2015. So it's an awful long time out of the ring. Yes, Ken? It just struck me on that I noticed Roy McIlroy hasn't tweeted anything about it yet. Well, as we speak, mm, as we record, who knows, as people listen, something might have come out. Yeah, for, some reason, for some reason, he's not tweeted that photograph. I mean, he tweets a few things. He tweet, I mean, he tweeted when he took his Paul Kimmage interview, you know. I mean, he tweets certain things that he wants... To bring to people's attention, I guess. But he hasn't tweeted that. So, what better way for Andy Lee to tune up for this next fight than by being in the same training camp as Billy Joe Saunders, <laughs> who he lost that world title to in his last fight in late 2015. Saunders recently joined Adam Booth's gym, creating a presumably awkward dynamic, at least for the first meeting between mm. the two. We'll chat to Andy about all this. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like um, it's like Mayo having to go into a 
pre-season training camp with Dublin two weeks after the Ireland final replay last year. <laughs> you know, it just strikes one as a little strange. I mean, sure, maybe there are learnings that you can take from the situation, but do you really want to take on board that level of, I don't know, social awkwardness? Is there an O'Gara sexton dynamic? I know well, we all got a little bit bored of that particular storyline after a while, but it was quite fascinating at well first. They, Sexton's gone to Racing Metro, O'Gara's there. Yeah. Well, they literally did have to train together for years as understudy and, you know, yeah, they were, first choice number 10. They were teammates, I suppose. They weren't yeah. beating the hell out of each other. Yeah. Well, either way, either way, Owen, I think we can agree, kind of awkward. We'll ask Andy about all that in a sec. Jerry Thornley is also on the way back from Ireland training camp at Carton House and on the way into this studio as Ireland get ready for the France game. But we're mostly going to talk to Jerry about today's news. The Connacht have appointed their successor to Pat Lamb. He's another Kiwi. He's been assistant coach of the Chiefs in Super Rugby most recently and he seems to have a pretty good reputation over there. Jerry actually broke the story last week, so we'll get a good bit more detail on Connacht's new man. The second captain's world service. to resort to song. Oh, wow. Oh, God, for shame, I do not even know your name. <laughs> Dear World Service subscriber, <laughs> what you say? I know what I've said. I know the tone that I've said it in. I know my words. I often have them recorded. I'm not doing it today because you're here, and if you do me, you know that's me and you're done forever. So you don't regret bringing, bringing up the issue publicly after the, the Glasgow game in the first place? No, I, I don't at all. Um, I felt I was lucky not to get seriously injured. You're diving at a player's knee, and um, it's not, I don't think it's a safe challenge. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't regret bringing it up at all, no. So if he'd been born, you know, in 81 or 82, maybe instead of being the notorious... B.I.G. or the notorious Conor McGregor, he would have actually been into Public Enemy, this kind of more militant hip-hop aesthetic, which is, you know, tear it all down. Whereas instead, he is literally living in a notorious B.I.G. video. The heroin happened uh, first time in uh, when I was in Amsterdam, just trying it, like a come down, you know, after a full weekend of, of doing a lot of ecstasy. Uh, like, it was it was good, you know, to smoke it. I ended up actually getting caught by the drug squad in Goy with, with my whole load, but and they wanted me to get someone bigger, you know, so they kind of let me go with the idea that I was going to set something up, and I left the country straight away. Went to London, moved in with another guy. A friend of mine was kind of on the run, so, you know, we were two peas in a pod, but the worst type of people to be together, you know. And it doesn't mean you don't want to go at it, it doesn't mean you haven't got a thirst to do it somewhere down the line, by the way, I must make that clear, and take the heat, because I've got no problem with that. But not at a stage in my family's life, they're not ready to deal with that. My son takes heat at school because I'm Burnley manager. Do you know what I mean? You know, because Burnley's not the trendy, it's not Arsenal, it's not Chelsea. You probably recognise a couple of the voices in there, at least Conor Murray. Sean Dyche, who was in the player's chair with Richie. Those are some of the best moments from our first week of daily podcasts last week as we launched the second captain's world service. One voice you mightn't recognise offhand is the guy speaking so eloquently about his drug addiction and the troubles that he got into there. It's actually pretty amazing. Even listen back to that short clip. Gavin Hennigan is that man's name. Galway man who blew everyone away last week when he came into the studio for the first of our World Service podcast last Tuesday. Thankfully, Gavin's come a long way since those dark days that he 
describes. And when he popped into us, he had literally just arrived home in Ireland after spending 49 days, I think it was, uh, rowing solo across the Atlantic. So if you want to hear that kind of thing and you want to hear those interviews in full, they're all waiting for you in the World Service. You can become a member for five euro a month plus VAT depending on where in the world you're living. You'll get all the shows and at least six podcasts a week from now on. So all those shows that are already there and six podcasts a week from now on. That's the usual two on a Monday plus daily shows from Tuesday to Friday. Lots of other cool stuff in there as well with the membership. Uh, beautiful Second Captain's Induction Pack. Members only events. Priority notice for all live events and lots more. You can do it on secondcaptains.com, that's where to sign up. But be warned, some of those who've already signed up have reported unforeseen side effects to listen to so much Second Captains. For example, guys, Neil Sinnott tweeted that he accidentally, in inverted commas, finished a work appraisal yesterday with, you're amazing. I mean, people, he's not the only person to have uh, told us about accidental, you're amazings in their life. But I mean, it could be a lot worse. I mean, as catchphrases go, it's still... You know, it's still pretty useful in everyday life. Going around telling people that they're amazing is, I mean, it, it's brilliant. It feels amazing. It feels amazing to be told you're amazing. And, I to, can t- vouch for and that. to tell people that they're amazing. Mm, better to be told. Well, either way, on Either way. I'm happy to spread the love. If you prefer your professional life to remain unaffected by Second Captain's podcast and these are the catchphrases, it's no problem at all. You will continue to get both of our Monday podcasts, whatever way you're listening to this one. So that's the one football pod and the one non-football. But for the daily shows, please sign up. Andy Lee is four weeks out from his comeback fight. Andy, would you call it a comeback? Yeah, I guess so. Um, well, my ring return, I guess. Uh, <laughs> don't call it a comeback. That was LL Cool J, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, um, I always, like I said, I've always intended to fight again. It was just about the right time for me and the right opportunity. Um, I would have liked to have been fighting a bigger fight, but with the time that's passed, um, this is the this is the right the right fight to take at this time because it's been will be over 15 months out of the ring and Leatherwood's not a soft opponent and um, also another incentive is that it's on a, a huge card Madden Square Garden on you know the day after St. Patrick's Day so um, that was a big incentive for me so um, yeah just I'm four weeks away now and in good form in the gym and enjoying training and ready to get back to what I do I know you have to talk your opponent up in these situations but he's lost mm. a few fights he's he's won he's 19 he's won 19 lost three drawn one fight I mean he's certainly not in your league as a world champion uh, uh, surely you've got to you've got to take this guy out and impress in doing so I think so yeah um, without you know pressurising myself I have I should do I should, by all accounts I should do on the form you know on paper but fight's a fight and he'll be well up for it as well he'll be there to spoil the night and um I've just been reading, like, he's had plenty of notice for this fight. He's had about eight weeks to train for it. So he'll be well prepared. I, in speaking, in, no, in talking him up, it's also, I'm also preparing myself mentally um, not to underestimate him because that's that's probably the worst mistake I can make and probably something that I would be easily done. So um, if I have a little bit of fear for him, it'll make him perf- perform better. So, I, like, he's lost three fights, but they're all two top, top guys. And uh, only stopped once, and that was by John Jackson, who I know myself from experience is a thunderous puncher. Mm. So, he, like, he, he he's not the highest level, and he's probably just below like the top contender kind of level. So, um, to beat him will show that I'm I'm still there, and um, 
ready to step up again after this. So if you were in studio with us analysing this fight, uh, as Andy Lee, the analyst, you'd be saying, yeah, Andy to win in a, in an early stoppage. But obviously what you're saying is you, you've got to think differently when you're actually the guy going in there and putting the gloves on. Yeah, and um, like you, you don't, like it's an early stoppage, I would say if I was analysing it from the outside, I would say Andy Lee maybe it's... This fight's only scheduled for eight rounds, so I could say maybe a stoppage from six, round six onwards. Mm. Um, but I don't know if it, there'll be an early stoppage. But obviously, if there's a chance for me personally, the, from the box point of view, to take it, I will and, and try and stop him. But um, sometimes when you look for a weak punch, um, you go out there trying to knock a guy out. Because when it never comes, you know, I think the better approach is to go in there and box and try to win each round and... Um, box freely and eventually the opportunities will come because it's they're three minute rounds and I know it doesn't sound like a long time but it is a long time when you're in there so there will be chances and um, if I can land a, a talent punch I will He's doing a little bit of talking Andy I'm definitely coming to win Andy's had a decent career a decent career is all he says as a former world champion but I don't think he's looked at as a great fighter I'm not really in fear of anything Andy Lee does he does have a good right hook but besides that it's not much to take notice of you're you're not one usually to get into the trash talking, but do you take do you get it at all riled when your opponent has a little nibble? No, I'm happy to actually happy to hear him speak, you know, in those terms because it does it does sharpen you a bit, you know, and it prepares you a little bit for it that he's coming to win. He's coming to win. Like um he's not coming there to get beat. He's he's still an ambitious fighter. He's not an old over the hill fighter, he's young young enough. And I know in those quotes you were saying, he's had longer to prepare for this fight than any other fight, so He'll, be, he'll have plenty of time to study me. There's, as a, like, there's so much of me footage of me on the internet that he'll be able to have a good study of it. Um, look, he's coming to win, and I, I expect him to come to win, and that's good because it'll, it'll give me opportunities, and um, I'm glad he has that attitude. So you're about four weeks out for it now, from it now. You're you're in heavy training, um, I guess, heavy sparring, all the, all that kind of stuff. Has that come back quite naturally to you after the break you've had? Um, it, you know, it's. I was expecting to be more of a jock, a jolt to the system, but I kind of, I kind of eased in. I, I was back here early, um, with about you know twelve weeks to the fight, so I had time to ease in, and um, just, just take you know, take it as it comes really. And to be honest, I kind of just fallen back into the into the groove, kind of into the flow. They have the same dynamic with the lads in the gyms, the same people, Adam and my brother Roger and Richard Towers. And um, the only real change is that we have a lot more young guys in the gym at the moment. There's about eight boxers in the gym. One of them being my my last opponent, Billy Joe Saunders. And um, you know we're pushing each other, working hard, and it's a little more it's a little motivation for me to see him in the gym beside me. You know, and uh, it, it, like see where he's at and see where I'm at, and um, it's it's also. An affirmation to know that I am a good boxer because a lot of things we're doing together, I'm doing them a lot better than him. It's just he beat me on the night night I had a bad performance. But uh, yeah, I, I got back into the flow, and um, it's like I'd never left. Even like those that 15 months or year at home didn't really happen. Like never really happened. It hasn't changed anything. Having Billy Joe Saunders there, you mentioned it, it must be a little bit kind of strange in some ways. This is uh, normally, I suppose, if a fighter loses somebody. They just want to forget about them for the rest of their lives. But there he is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> across the ring from you. Yeah, I know. The fact that we had such a long, protracted build-up to our fight, we were like we had about six press conferences. 
and media obligations and stuff like that. And I was sick of looking at him and we had a horrible fight. I performed terribly and I lost my world title. So I have so, you know, <laughs> next thing you know, he's coming to the gym. Adam, uh, over Christmas, Adam ran it by me and I wouldn't say he asked me, but he just wanted to see what my thoughts were if he came to the gym. And I just said, you know, go ahead. I don't see us ever fighting again. And he's a good fighter and I'll get to spar him and compete with him, you know, and um, it will only benefit me and him. So I said, go ahead. And, you know, I was, I was obviously in the back of my mind coming back over here to England and, uh, you know, meeting him for the first time. It was a bit awkward. And we, you know, talked a bit and kind of danced around each other a bit, you know, <clears throat> verbally. But after after a few sessions, it's kind of, he's just another guy in the gym now. Ah, he's actually, not just another guy in the gym. Oh, I, come on. I know, yeah, but it, we actually sparred today, sparred today and um, we did we only did two rounds. Um, he's just getting back into shape. It was his first day sparring. So, um, But to tell you the truth, I, I'm emotionally, I am emotionally detached from it. You know, really, not, I don't feel any grudge towards him. Before or after the fight, we were kind of respectful. And... It was never like it was never a personal thing. It was just about he has to, we have to fight each other. He was number one contender, and I was the champion. We had to fight, and that's just the way it went, you know. How was it in the ring today with him? Then inspiring was there? There was no. I don't know if this is how it works in gyms, Andy. But is it? Is there? Is there sort of a macho dynamic there on either your part or his part, just to show you to show each other what you can do and that you haven't forgotten? Yeah, there was nothing in the spar in terms of no one really had an edge over each other um, or got the better of it. Um, I think it was more respectful, uh, definitely. It definitely was. There was. We didn't like. There was no agenda. There was no running out trying to take anyone's heads off. We just boxed, um, and if anything, both was kind of held a little back. I think you know, out of out of respect, and I'm not sure. And to be honest with you, it's he it was his first spot. I've been sparring for the last two weeks, and I'm better conditioned and probably sharper than he is right now. A lot sharper actually. So. I didn't want to take any liberties either, so it was it was respectful, and it was um, it was there was no there was nothing in it, you know. It was nip and tuck. You couldn't. It was only two rounds, so you couldn't pick a winner of each of each round. Um, but look, he, like I said, I'm, I'm not. I don't really feel any grudge towards him, and uh, it just just it's just a reminder every time I see him in the gym that this is the guy to beat me, and. I have to be better than him. You know, I have to be improving and doing things that he's doing. I'm doing them better, longer and harder in terms of the bag, throwing more punches, in terms of the hills, hill sprints, doing them faster than him, in terms of the, you know, the track sessions, doing them faster than him. So that's, you know, it's a, it's a great gauge for me in terms of in terms of where I need to be. Yeah, now that makes a, a lot of sense. You said that the in, initial conversation was a little bit awkward, <laughs> dancing around mm. the subject. Did you... Have you come around to talking about the fight at all, or was it just sort of forgotten about? Not really. I don't know. Well, what, I suppose what's just, the point for you to do it? Yeah. I guess, you know, yeah. in that sense that um, we never really talked about it in terms of the fight itself. Because, to be honest with you, I don't want to be sound, like, making excuses. All I said to him is, you beat me fair and square on the night, and that's all you have to do, you know what I mean? There's no point talking about what happened before, what happened, at, like, in the build-up to the fight, because it's all irrelevant, because only the, only the result... Only the result remains, you know. It's the only thing that really means anything is the result. How much leeway do you give yourself now in sparring? Do you, if you have a bad day at this point, do you concern yourself that you're only a few weeks out? Is Are there a certain amount of bad days that you're going to have in any camp? Or is it supposed to be perfect pretty much from the first day? 
No, you know yourself um, as you go through the camp and the process, you sharpen up as it gets there. It, it physically, mentally as well, that by the time the fight comes, like the, really the last two weeks, you're 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 on it. You know, you're you're, you're firing all cylinders, and up until that point, you have good days and you have bad days <clears throat> in the gym. Um, but like as a, an experienced fighter now. I don't let it eat me up if I have a bad day. I just know that I'm, I have a chance to make it right the next day. Where when I was younger, having a bad day in the gym would really annoy me and I wouldn't be able to you know, sit with myself until I got got back and got revenge in the gym. So just with experience, you just know you, you know, not every day you're gonna, you're gonna have it your way, but that's just how it is. Do you think you'd be nervous on the night? I think I could be. I hope I am because, uh, I've often walked into fights and not felt any emotion, you know, good or bad. And um, I always kind of worry when I don't feel nervous. So <laughs> yeah. I do hopefully I'll be nervous. I'm sure there'll be a good crowd then. It'll be, you know, the, that's a great atmosphere in, in, in Madison Square Garden. And to walk out in that historical venue, hopefully, I should be feeling something anyway. So we'll, we'll wait and see. All right. Well, we, we wish you well, Andy, over the next few weeks. Isn't great to catch up? Thanks, Owen. Always good to talk to you. One, two. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen unanswered punches. Fifteen of them really hurt. All the Irish, everyone in the house are hurting. I heard all the cheers, and he got me through that fight. Matt Carball was giving me a nightmare, and I found it really hard in there. But anyway, listen, I'm a midway fighter. I'm a champion now. I want to defend my belt in Ireland. And I'll fight the best in the world. Congratulations, Andy. Up the Irish. Get in. Hard left hand. Oh, oh, oh my God. There's that Andy in the right hook. There's that John in the right hook. He caught him. He's choking. He's right hook. Kenny Gallus stops the fight. You know why? Too many unanswered punches. Andy Lee is a brand new WBO middleweight champion of the world. How about that for all of my friends watching in Ireland? The winner by TKO victory, and now the WBO middleweight champion of the world, Irish Andy Lee. Always nice to catch up with Andy, especially with the fight looming just around the corner a few weeks away. That's on the undercard of the Golovkin Danny Jacobs fight, by the way, Madison Square Garden. I'm glad Adam Booth ran the Billy Joe Saunders idea by Andy first. It wasn't just Andy Rice's first day back at training. Okay, you're sparring. Who is it? So what young up-and-comer am I going to be? <laughs> it's going to be snapping at my heels. Oh, shite. Yeah. It's yeah. this guy. It's weird, actually. Talking about the the uh, bigging up of the fight or the selling of the fight, for want of a better word, uh, Andy's point there about talking up your opponent you know, has more than one effect. So mm. the one is to sell the fight. The other one is also to keep yourself on guard, to be thinking like that, not just talking like that, to ensure that you go in as prepared uh, properly mentally as you can be. And it's that's kind of a, a kind of a neat mental trick that you can uh, teach yourself, I would think. The idea that, right, okay, I have to do this to sell the fight, but I also should do this to make sure that I win the fight. Yeah, it's the way most sports people are in a lot of other sports. That that second function you talk about is actually the main one. It's just yeah. to, uh, Brian Cody doesn't talk about how big the challenge is going to be about against Wexford 
whatever weekend because he wants to sell more tickets. He does it because he wants that message going out to his players and maybe even in his own head, he yeah. wants to, to keep sharp. So that's definitely that side. But in boxing, you do have the hype side of it also, more so than probably in any other sport. Interesting uh, example you chose there since Wexford are now uh, a better hurling team than Kilkenny, but whatever, whatever. <laughs> the second captain's football podcast is out now. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? Well, and we talked a little bit about Millwall Football Club, who've saved their ground and dumped Lesser out of the cup over the weekends. We talked to Barney Roney, who's a journalist who was covering a lot of the um, the the sort of long running dispute between. Millwall and community activists in Bermondsey against the local council. Barney refused to deny rumours that he's in the running for the Millwall Player of the Year gong this year for the, his journalistic efforts. Now that would be a turn up. The rumours are true. Trump would not like that. Yeah, uh, journalists getting a, an award, a sporting award. And we talked also a bit about um, Luis Enrique at Barcelona uh, who narrowly avoided another humiliation last night um, with a last minute penalty by Lionel Messi to beat Leganes 2-1. So um, things are not going very well there. So we talked to Dermot Corrigan a little bit about um, why they seem to have, why they seem to be going off the rails. Let's talk rugby. All right, let's welcome directly back from Carton House, Jerry Thorney. Good afternoon. How are you, Jerry? You made it straight here to yeah. give us the latest medical bulletin on Johnny Sexton. Yes. <laughs> sort of a weekly occurrence. It is. is. I remember Roy Keane's metatarsal back in the day and mm. being tired reading about this, and I'm sure we're boring the listeners and the readers and everything else. But it is a topic. Um, according to Paul Dean today, he, Johnny Sexton will take a modified part in training today with a view to taking a full part in training tomorrow. Uh, likewise, Rob Carney, the same. Um, both players believe they are 100% ready to go, according to Paul Dean. So right. they just have to prove this to the coaching and medical staff tomorrow, and it looks like both will be there. Almost, well, no, almost, but it certainly would be named in the team if that comes to pass come Thursday. Yeah, Johnny is a Johnny Sexton. In his particular case, Joe Schmidt has given him more time than others in the past, anyway. So mm. Tuesday. Full fitness is will be considered well enough time for a Saturday well game for him. Well enough time for for him, um, and he's proven after long absences that he's well capable of um, reaching the pitch of Test level. Um, was it two seasons ago? He had the two month extended break from at the medical advice for concussion issues. Um, first game back was against France in the Aviva Stadium, I think, and uh, he had a very good game that day as well. So he can do this. And uh, O'Driscoll's been tweeting about that today, actually. Yeah, he's yeah, has been he? kind of making that point that. Um, I think in an exchange with Andy McGeady making that point that yeah, one hundred percent, he's he, he comes back quickly. It's no it's no bother at all. He probably know. actually has more rugby under his belt this season. Injury trouble though it's been than he even had then. Um, I don't think he's played since what was it about four weeks ago the Castro match when he went off for twenty minutes with this latest calf strain. 
But, um, you know, whenever he's played this season, a bit like Rob Carney, but whenever he's played, he's looked very fit and very strong and very much on top of his game. And uh, Leinster and Ireland have been the better team for his presence there. Like, let's not forget Chicago and other games mm. with Leinster this season. He's looked very sharp when he's been playing. His goal kicking has been good. He's been taken to the line, distributing well. And I think he would add another dimension to Ireland. Well, though, Jackson has played in seven of the last nine games for Ireland. I think he's nailed 27 of his last 28 kicks. So there's now an, an, an able understudy to Sexton like never before. Four, um, since Ronald Gar retired anyway and I think that uh, Sexton just brings that bit more decision making that bit more precision that bit more presence he brings as Joe Schmidt said the other players up to his level when he's there and um, he's a very very um, loud <laughs> barking voice on the pitch and he pulls others into place as well um, not just offensively but defensively just brings other players into the game so I think yeah Ireland would be a better team for his presence there and there's no question if he's fit he plays Jerry, Irish medical reports in the past haven't been as informative as maybe the Irish media would have liked them to be. True. Uh, is there any advantage to Ireland, say, Johnny Sexton? I was just laughing because that's an understatement. <laughs> Obviously, the coaches don't always want the journalists and the public knowing exactly what is really going on. Yeah, the opposition, essentially. And the opposition, really, yeah. Yeah, but other countries give accurate information. But it's you see a, them, all blacks just give up-to-date, bang-on, accurate medical bulletins, all them. Sorry if you interrupt me, but yeah, you're no, right. Others it, don't do it this way. No. Yeah, it's obviously a tactic, or yeah. Yeah, they believe in it, but it doesn't matter that much. It's not that serious a thing, but is there any advantage to them having France think Johnny Sexton will play even though he's injured and won't play? That's a good question. I think that if you can keep your opposition in the dark, certainly this is the way Joe Schmidt believes, to any degree at all, um, then you, you, you avail of that opportunity. And certainly, Joe Schmidt hates the media trying to name his team in advance, particularly if they, we get it right occasionally. And he, I'd say he'd like to leave it up until five minutes before kickoff, ideally, before making it public. But, you know, France will name their team on Thursday morning. Ireland will name their team on Thursday lunchtime. I, I would imagine that Guy Noves and the French staff would prepare with both Paddy Jackson and Johnny Sexton in mind. They're probably expecting Sexton to play. Um, and I think in all in all probability he probably will do. But to answer your question, if if Joe Schmidt thought there was even a one percentage to be gained from it, he'd do it. All right, the breaking news today, Jerry, is that the uh, Kiwi had to check the name there. It's Kieran Keane, just because this is somebody who I certainly wasn't familiar with. Uh, it's a story you broke last week that he was mm-hmm. going to be taking over as Connacht coach, and it has come to pass. What do you make of this appointment? I think he looks a good fit. Um, I can't say I knew an awful lot about him before I started researching him last week. I knew of him, but he's even better than I realised. Um, I mean, he's been coaching a long time. He's in about 63 now, I think, or so forth. Um, he took over Tasman in 2009, which were an amalgamation of Marlborough and Nelson Bay when the um, ITM Cup or the New Zealand Provincial Championship was completely revamped into two divisions. And they came in in 2009 and he was there for seven seasons. In their first season, they finished ninth. Next season, twelfth. Um, following season, bottom. And there was all sorts of talk of financial difficulties, and they might not be even staying afloat or even competing the following year. He completely uh, tore up the script, um, reinvested in a completely new squad, uh, came up with a brand new way of playing, which enthused the public. Um, was high scoring, porous but high scoring. Um, very exciting brand of rugby. Uh, they got to the semi-finals of the championship, which is like their second division in 2012. The following year, they won that championship, got promoted, and the following year in 2014, they made the ITM or Premiership final, um, the first ever newly promoted side ever to do so. And then in 2015, finished third, the third highest ranked province, at which point he moved on to Wicado Chiefs to become their head coach. 
it's uncannily like the Connacht story. You know, rags to riches, you know, impoverished um, province, not particularly high achieving past, um, and just embracing a, a left field way of playing to try and outsmart as opposed to out bully opposition teams, which is the only way Connacht can do it anyway. They can, they're not going to beat Munster at their own game or other stronger sides. They have to be left field, as has been shown in the Pat Lamb era. I think it's um, in, in terms of bringing something different and left field to the party, it looks like a very good fit. He, he should be well prepared for trying to coach Connacht in the Pro 12, having done seven seasons with Tasman in the ITM Cup. Um, he's abrasive, aggressive. He, uh, he rubs up people sometimes the wrong way, but he says he's mellowed and he's a much better human being for the experience of coaching Tasman and he's grateful for the chance that rugby has given him in that sense and to make him a better person. So, And I know that uh, the Connacht players themselves, players such as Bundyaki, are very excited by him. I mean, he worked with Dave Rennie, the Waikato Chiefs, where Bundyaki used to play. And the word back in New Zealand, this is a very good appointment. And also I know that there might be other new, one or two new coaches coming in with him. I don't know whether that's going to be Leon McDonald or not. McDonald is very much um, a protege of Keynes. But he's going to come over next season, I think. Um, and from what I hear, he was always Connacht's first choice. That the other names in the reckoning, like John O'Gibbs, Tony Brown, um, Liam MacDonald himself, these people, none of them, uh, Bernard Jackman, were ever on Connacht's radar. They never actually approached any of them. This is the guy they wanted. From the, they've been watching him for a while. And Pat Lamb as well, I also know, thinks it's an outstanding appointment. Well, that's got to feel good. Whatever about Pat Lamb, certainly that they've got their number one target. Yeah. It was something I was interested in. Just how appealing the Connacht job is to people around the rugby world, whether what they've done in the last year or two has essentially lifted their status and made them one of the the provinces that somebody like this would be happy to coach. Well, clearly they are if he's coming over, but how many people, how many high caliber coaches really would have wanted this job, do you think? It's a good question. Um, I would have thought that there's two ways of looking at it. Connacht have plateaued, have reached a height that they'll never scale again. And therefore, how do you follow that? Alternatively, you look, you see, if you're down in the Southern Hemisphere and you look at the pictures from the Pro 12 final, and it's that glorious day in Murrayfield, you see the, the fan base they now generate in sports games. You see the crowd there for the game against the Newport Gwent Dragons last Saturday night. I mean, it was just phenomenal how way they're filling out sports ground now. So I think... Uh, Kieran Keane is coming into a much better setup than Pat Lamb came into. Sure, the expectations are higher, but that's no problem. That's the way it should be. That's the way it is for the All Blacks. That's the way it is for all New Zealand teams. And it's a good, healthy thing. Um, and also the foundations are better. The, con- the academy is producing a much better conveyor belt of talent through its system. Uh, the fan base is better. The, the ground itself is better. And they could be moving to a new one or upgrading that. Still a big decision to be made there. They'll always be punching against above their weight against the Leinsters of this world because Leinsters have so many more advantages than, than and so do Munster and, and Ulster financially, crowd base, every which way. The conveyor belt of talent coming through Leinster, we saw that again against Edinburgh the other night. There is no other conveyor belt like in Europe, never mind Ireland or the Pro 12. Not in Europe could you end up with you know, two hookers, two scrum halves, three locks, two out halves, filling in all over the place and putting Edinburgh to the sword. There's no other team in Europe can do this with a essentially homegrown young squad. But Connor are going places and I think they've now a base level of um, support and performance level on the pitch and what the organisation has become to make it a more attractive proposition than it would have been when Pat Lamb came in. Do you think the Connacht players actually needed this news now? Because I was watching the Dragons game at the weekend and... You mentioned how upbeat the fans are. I thought the players, in contrast, there was a lot of hanging heads. They looked really disappointed even though they won the game afterwards. And just a feel of of the magic has gone a bit. 
and I don't know if it's the Pat Lam message has been absorbed and they need something new now, but just the news itself seems quite timely. I just feel like Connacht, the whole the whole setup needed something. Yeah, I think that's probably a good thing. If you remember, Eric Elwood gave um, well well enough advance notice of his departure, mm. and it meant that they could land Lamb before other English clubs could come in with a firm offer. I think they, I think Lamb was confirmed early in January. Um, and I think something similar here it's given them ample notice to groom a successor hopefully maybe Keane a la Lamb will be able to come over um, as, as Eric Elwood afforded Lamb the opportunity and run the rule over Connacht in the last month or two of the season which would be very helpful if that could come to pass I don't know whether it could or not with his commitments with the Chiefs but yeah I think looking at their performance the other night they weren't that far away Simon from being 30 points up after 20 minutes and you, you know one more try a third try and they would have pulled clear. They probably were a little bit overconfident after two early scores, as can happen, and forced way too many offloads and passes and didn't take their chances and then got embroiled in a dogfight, as can happen. A few players look low in confidence at the moment, but that is at least back-to-back wins. I think their next two games are against Zebra and Treviso. You know, that could hopefully bring them four wins on the, on the trot. They don't have any European distractions. I could see them mounting a push and at least making seventh place and the playoffs for a place in the Champions Cup next year. So... But even so, you're right, I think the positive vibes I'm hearing about Keane within particularly the Kiwi fraternity, which has always been very strong, goes back for years. There's always been a strong Kiwi thread there. There's something about the landscape, the climate, everything else that just tallies with the Kiwi mentality. They fit in very well there. Connacht embrace them. They, they, they come along for a couple of weeks like Tim Allen and end up being there 20 years later still as manager. And I think that uh, from what I'm hearing, the, the experience, the vibes from the players within the squad are so positive about disappointment that I, I agree with you. I don't think it can do them any harm at all. It gives them a sense of certainty. And if Bundiaki is happy and he's bound to be back next week as well, then you'd imagine that's only that can only be good. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. What you? What are you saying? You just a phony man. This is just what I admit. I don't look like the athlete of the day. Supposed to look. This ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE, baby. My belly's just a little big. Just a little big. This is just an act that you're doing. You should be an actor. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other was right here. You can, you can run around like you're a preacher and all that you want, but baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. You can't teach that. Sounds like there's one man at Connacht who's humour is important to keep on the upward trajectory mm. bun- Bundiaki <laughs> we, were t- we were talking about uh, Leo Messi in the football show and how you know if he really wants to he could probably pick the next Barcelona manager now I'm not saying Bundiaki has could, picked this guy could literally pick the next kind of head coach but I would be inclined to run a couple of things by Bundy uh, you know he's pretty good <laughs> he's pretty bloody good mm. and uh he has been known to, you know, go on social media first and think later uh, about these things. So, oh, yeah, uh, didn't he tweet an angry face emoji? Oh, several, said, several, I believe. Was it wasn't pissed and a couple of angry face yeah. emojis after Pat Lamb and yeah. his, his, yeah, so that decision. I'd say, I'd say they have to keep John Muldoon happy too. Yeah. In fact, I'd say he's probably the decision maker, but they just have to keep Bundy happy. Just <laughs> feed him enough information. <laughs> if you've already signed up to the Second Captain's World Service, there's a great piece on the way for you tomorrow, 10 years on from England, Ireland at Croke Park, one of those 
amazing sporting occasions any of us can probably remember. I'm just speaking for everybody there, just uh, everybody listening. Fine. Uh, we're going to be talking to Shane Horgan and, Jer- and Jerry Flannery, who were both heavily involved that day. If you aren't signed up to the World Service just yet and you want to hear the daily shows from Tuesday right through the week, get on secondcaptains.com to join the gang. There's a lot of cool stuff on the site now as well. We've got a brand new website built there to coincide with the launch, so spend a little bit of time on that if you have a few minutes to spare. Any difficulties, by the way, signing up, just email members at secondcaptains.com or you can tweet us at secondcaptains and we'll get that sorted. That's pretty much it. Pint Baby is on the 6-1 News tonight, by the way. I know. You know this I know, I internet sensation, Ken? Why is it Why is it on the news now? Uh, a reporter has gone down to interview Pint Baby, who's all grown up. Oh, right, okay. Still, yeah. still alive anyway. The baby's... Uh, Human being. Well, the baby is, it was a human being when it was a baby, and now it's. Uh, That's continues to be a human being twenty human being, years yeah. later. That's great. It'll be uh, intriguing. Yeah. Um, intriguing. How did that? How did that suddenly just get like dug up last week? I know. It, it's weird how these things happen. You know, I'd like to say that we were at the vanguard. I don't think that we were. Well, that was RT archives, wasn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Like, if if say if I were running this particular PR campaign. Yeah. I would definitely have drawn it out for another couple of weeks. It seems like we were presented with Pint Baby and now we're being presented with fully grown Pint Baby. There should have been more of a public Far search for Pint Baby. Maybe that yeah. did happen and I missed it. But yeah, that could have gone on for... That could have been well, no, hit. I mean, it just would have whetted the appetite a bit more. It's just we were getting our only getting our heads around Pint Baby and now we're, we're the story is over. Pint Man. Pint Man. A lot of pressure on Pint Man. <laughs> well, I don't know. What's he got to say about the incident? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't remember a whole lot about it. I was a year old. Um yeah, so I mean, I, I, it seems like it's all wrapped up now, and we can't we can't really talk about Pint Baby anymore. And I would have liked, I don't know, maybe another couple of days, just having Pint Baby around, the, you the, know, in our minds, in our collective consciousness. There'd be more viral sensations, Murph. I'm sure. Don't worry about that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Owen. Ken. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. Thank Owen. You, Thanks for listening. You're amazing. Bye, bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.